Welcome to Church Project. We're glad that you're here. If you do not have a Bible, this is an important thing to have. We, we uh, kind of teach out of the Bible every week. Everything that we do is based out of the Bible. And so if you do not have one, there's some on the lamp over on your right and on your left. Uh, we have uh, Bibles over there. And, and honestly, if you don't own a Bible, uh, take that. That's why people tithe. That's why we give our money for things like this. We want to have the scripture in everyone's hands. And so if you would today have that, that Bible open in front of you, that would be great. Not that projecting the, 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 the scripture on screen is bad, but we just won't. So there's, there's the precursor. Have the Bible in your lap, okay? All right, let's move forward. Luke chapter 19, verse 41 through 48 is what we are going to be going through today. But uh, I just kind of want to ask you guys, how you doing this morning? You feeling good? Everyone awake? Everyone excited to be alive today? It's going to be a good day today, and especially as we look at the, the Word of God right here. You know, here's, here's a simple question to kind of think about. In fact, why don't, why don't we do this, okay? I know it's a little awkward, but uh, either you have coffee and your breath smells like coffee, that's okay, or you're chewing gum and it smells like mint, and that's okay. But why don't you, why don't you look to the person next to you, and we're just going to take maybe a minute here and kind of a- answer this question. If you had three days to live on earth, what would you do with these three days? Yeah, so go ahead. Talk, talk to the person next to you. Jared's like, I don't have a person next to me. What would you do? Three days to live, what would you do? It's an interesting question. It reveals a lot. It's fun to dream about, fun to think about. Let's look and see here how Jesus lived the last three, four days of his life. He began this process. Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 48. Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 48. I'll just read through this and we'll begin to talk about it and see what God may have for us today. So starting in verse 41 of chapter 19 of Luke. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Verse 43, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who, sit, who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do. For all the people were hanging on his words. This is an incredible eight verses right here as we look at at Luke and as we look at the the end of Jesus' life as a human here on earth as he's walking. And if you think back just the passage before, and you can even read back into the passage before, it's incredible how Jesus has orchestrated every aspect of, of his life to culminate to this point right here. And it also is encouraging as his church as we look around and we just even think about our lives. Do you think God is using every aspect of our life, our experiences, our our failures, our successes, the things that we're learning and doing? Do you think he is using everything for his glory in our life? I do. 
I think he's interested in the minute things. Everything that happens in our life is for a reason. And as Christians, as his church, are we just kind of looking up and letting those things beg the question, how does this bring glory to God? Why am I a coach? Why am I a nurse? Why am I a mom? Why did I go here? Why do I do this? As we move about our day, we go to our spaces and places throughout our week, we represent Jesus in this gospel story, this gospel message. The Bible is consistent in speaking this gospel message that there was creation and there was a fall and there was redemption. Jesus buying back everything that he created and restoring it to be what he wants it to be, what he created it to be. That means our lives. That means everything around us. And as we look at this passage, the passage we just came out of and the passage that we're coming into, amongst the cheers would come the tears. If you were here last week, you know, people are getting excited. Jesus is marching down into Jerusalem and they're thinking, this is it. Like, this is the man that literally tomorrow is going to set us free from the oppression of Rome and we're going to rule. Like, this is awesome. Tomorrow we're victorious. And everyone's excited at this moment. Little did they know, though, amongst those tears, soon, soon, just a few days later, would become a lot of tears, a lot of confusion. Jesus, in this passage, what did he do right as we begin? He begins to weep. He's crying for his creation. Look at this in, in verse 41. And when he drew near, he saw the city. He wept over it, sobbed over it, lost it over it. Jared was driving very slow in our neighborhood yesterday and ran over a squirrel and started just sobbing. He's got a soft heart. (laughs) A little deeper than that, though, huh? Jesus is looking down at Jerusalem, and, and he begins to weep. He begins to sob over it, and he's saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus is weeping, he's sobbing, not for himself, but for the stubbornness, the sinful blindness of the city, of the people that he loved. Like he's he's looking down at Jerusalem and he knows what's about to happen. He knows in the lives of his disciples and he knows even for us to today that there's a time when judgment is going to come. And it's going to be a result from our actions. It will come. And Jesus is looking at Jerusalem, he begins to sob. If you think back to the Old Testament, Jeremiah wept over Jerusalem after it was destroyed 600 years earlier. Like there's destruction throughout Bible, but there's Jesus buying back this destruction and Jesus fulfilling and and plucking us from death and giving us life. But as Jesus is looking at Jerusalem, he's sobbing. Why is he sobbing? Sin. Satan deceiving mankind. The literal destruction of Jerusalem, the city that he's looking at, he begins to weep. And why is he weeping? He says in verse 42, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now, you missed it. But now, they are hidden from your eyes. Peace was available, but it's not available to them At this moment, it's hidden from their eyes. So here's a question from us, just just us in our lives right now as we're living. Does separation from God break your heart? 
Jesus is looking down in Jerusalem and his heart is breaking. He's weeping over it. He knows that destruction is coming. He, he, knows, he knows what's about to happen and it's breaking his heart. So as we look in our lives and we look around us, does separation from God break your heart? As we move about our days and we go to the workplaces and spaces that we go and, and we move about our week, do we have the eyes of God? If we had the eyes of God, we would celebrate what he's done in our life. Like he's plucked us from destruction and from death. And he himself has taken the weight of sin upon himself. So we would celebrate. And as we move along our day, we would look and our conversations would be different. We would want to represent Jesus in everything that we do and that we say. And it would break our heart if people didn't know who God was. And didn't have a vibrant relationship with him. So as Jesus is looking down at Jerusalem, it's breaking his heart. Does it do the same thing for us as we look at people who are far from God? It should. It should. It should challenge us to love people, to smile a little bit more. Like, smile, people. We're good. We've got an incredible story. God loves us. Let's show this to people in our voices, in our actions, where we go. And let's let sin just break our heart as it's breaking God's heart right here. We look in verse 43. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Okay, as Jesus is in this time, he's, he's telling what's about to happen to Jerusalem. He's saying in 70 AD, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Literally, the city of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Depends upon where, where you do your research or what commentary you kind of read through. This is the number of Jews that were killed during the destruction of Jerusalem. Between 600,000 people to 1.3 million. I wasn't there. I don't know how many were killed. But that's way more than even the people, Americans, that were lost in World War II. Can you see why Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem? Literally life, at a minimum, 600,000 people are about to die, and Jesus knows this. How are they about to die? Well, if you know your church history, and there was this this guy that was kind of messed up called Nero. In 65 A.D., Well, 64 AD, he sets Rome on fire and blames Christians. You know this? Sets sets Rome on fire and blames Christians. Then in 65 AD, he begins to just live a a really upright, you know, good citizen kind of life and starts taking Christians and wrapping them in, in dead animal skins and sending hungry packs of dogs after them. Taking Christians and dipping them in oil, placing them in gardens and setting them on fire for the sport of it. Persecution, incredible. And then we see in 70 AD, Jerusalem under Titus was destroyed. We see zealots of this time in Jerusalem, like they're out, they're going to fight this holy war. We see zealots retreating all the way, all the way back to the temple as Jerusalem is getting destroyed. The first wall is conquered, second wall is conquered, third wall is conquered. People are dying all the way down to the temple, and the temple, you get in the temple, and now these zealots have died from starvation, they've died from suicide, and there's literal death, there's literal blood in the street in 70 AD as the temple is set on fire and destroyed. 
What was left was a Jewish dispersion, the end of Israel. Not a very happy time. As Jesus is looking ahead to these events, he's coming down in Jerusalem. Would you weep? Would you weep? And then we move forward into even our story today. And Jesus is looking, he was projecting in time and space and looking at our hearts today. And he's weeping just as much for us today as he was for the literal Jerusalem at that time. And he's saying, for any man, woman, and child that does not know me and call me Savior and King and Lord and Messiah, I'm weeping for you. I've come to give you love and joy and peace and hope and redeem you and buy you back from just hell and its grips of sin on you. And I love you. But for those of us that aren't reaching out to God and saying, God, here's my life, he weeps for us. Because he knows destruction, just like Jerusalem, is coming our way. Can you see why these cheers are now turning into tears? And you see why these people thought that their salvation that, that was coming the next day from oppression from Rome. And Jesus said, I have a, a message that I'm dying for that radiates time and space. It's bigger than just one place. We get down to verse 45. And he entered the temple. Jesus, we don't know what the distance was between when he was crying over Jerusalem. But look right here in verse 45. It's, an, it's a new event. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. If you think of, of Matthew 10, 34, what is that verse? I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come on purpose, like I'm here. I've come on purpose. How many of you grew up in a small town? Go ahead. Yeah? Did your small town have like the, the credit system where you could go into the grocery store and just kind of purchase whatever you wanted and they'd put it on a little credit and you walk out without paying and then at the end of the month you can go in and pay it. Did yours have that? Did, did your small town have the, you know, the gas station and the grocery store that was closed on Sunday? Did, you, did, you, did yours have that? Like you didn't, in Ordway, Colorado, if you didn't buy something on Saturday, forget it. Like you're, you're done. Like everything's shut down. I kind of miss those days, by the way. But in this small little town called Ordway, Colorado, um, I knew that there were a lot of farmers and ranchers that were big, tough men. And I know that these farmers and ranchers would call me out, whoop my tail, correct me in the streets if need be. Times have kind of changed, by the way. And they probably get thrown in jail for that now, right? But I knew that these men, at minimum, would be in my mom and dad's on their phone saying, you know what Aaron has done? Blip, blip, blip. Like, I knew it. It was society. It's just kind of what happened. They would stand for truth, and they were there for truth. They would speak the truth. No matter how hard, no matter what it was, I knew that they were there for that. Jesus, as he walks into the temple, he sets a precedence for us, church. Wake up. Nah, this doesn't mean just go and start throwing money everywhere and getting all mad and throwing chairs. But look what he does do. They're exchanging money. Um, for, for acceptable coins of worship. It couldn't be one money. It had to be acceptable coins of worship. So they've got this whole business thing set up right there. They're selling sacrificial lambs and birds because it's got to be these approved ones. It couldn't be any that you brought in. So there's some more opportunity to make money right there. Jesus comes in and what does he do? He says, enough with this. There's truth and I am here for truth. Like I am coming here. How many of us let truth just kind of waver in our life? Oh, it may or may not be. 
Like Jesus comes in and he stands and he goes strong, but it's not even this outward appearance of what's happening. You know, the, the businesses of the temple that's happening, that's, that's breaking his heart the most. This is what's breaking his heart the most. The heartbreak for Jesus was that the Gentiles were coming and going from the temple. The, temple. the unbelieving Gentiles were coming from in and out of the temple because they could. They could go to those gates right there and they were not encountering God. The leaders of the temple had set it up and their hearts were so cold that unbelieving Gentiles were coming into the temple and leaving the temple and they were not encountering God. That's what was breaking his heart. What does that mean for us today, church? What does that mean for this catchy little church project thing we got going on here? What does that mean for us? Our purposes to make disciples, meet needs, and grow churches. Church project is about significance. It's not about success. If we look around and go, hey, church project, hey, we're growing in numbers, successful. It's not about success. It's about significance. And we need to ask ourselves as a church, are we making disciples? Jesus said it, it's the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like, he's asked us to go make disciples. As Jesus comes into the temple here, he's, he's heartbroken because people are coming and they're leaving, never encountering God. May that never be our church. How do we make disciples? Well, Ask yourself, what do we do here at Church Project? What are the literal things, literal things that we do here? We have Sunday. I think this is a pretty cool thing to come together and to worship as his church, to, to whisper secrets of what God is doing in our hearts, to celebrate, to, man, this worship band is phenomenal. Thank you. I love worshiping, and I love saying, God, thank you for what you're doing. And even in that, we're making disciples. What about our house churches? Absolutely Here's a little challenge for you for house churches. Um, I was able to go around and see all three house churches this week, and it was incredible. It was so cool to see men and women and children gather together and talking. So here's your challenge. As I speak today, I probably say something that you don't agree with, or you have more questions about, or you want to talk further. Guess what? This is kind of a hard atmosphere to do it. It may be chaotic if hands were going up all over the place. We have house church for that. Write down your questions. Write down the things that you want to talk about at house church. We're fleshing this out. We're talking through it. So are we making disciples at house church? Man, I sure hope so. House churches. What about youth? What about our project students and everything that they're doing? Going on a corn maze. That's a good way to make disciples, isn't it? Building, building relationships. Jeremy and Brittany are doing a phenomenal job with that. What about Project Kids with, oh, Aaron's here. Aaron, welcome. Aaron gets to sit in here like once a month. And so everyone, welcome Aaron. She's our Project Kids director. Sitting with her husband. Incredible. Making disciples of our young little girls and little boys. What about this 33 men study? Why would we do this? To make disciples. What about the random events that we have, the marriage retreats, the stuff like that? Make disciples. Well, what's one way as a church that we meet needs? You may or may not know this if you've come to our start class, but we are, our goal is to be giving away 50% of everything that comes into this place. That's incredible. Churches don't do that, by the way, for the most part. 
We want to be able to give away 50% of everything that comes in here. Why? To meet needs. We saw the early church meeting needs all the time. So why can't we as a church stand up with our lives, with our resources and everything to do that? We're forming partnerships, local and global, and, and, and going after this. So here, here's a question, and just let me know afterwards. We're forming a trip to go to Haiti, and we're aiming for uh, spring break. How about that? If you want to go, let me know. After the service, let Jeremy know. We're forming this. Like, we want to go make a difference. We want to partner with, with ministries that are, are about the gospel message and doing incredible things. So, church, there's that. And then, and then the third part, make disciples, meet needs, and grow churches. Uh, the result of making disciples, hopefully, is more churches. In the Church Project Network, we have five churches we have another network in Colombia and Haiti, and we want to be a part of this. We feel like it's very significant. Why do I say all that? I say that, one, to give you the structure of church project and say, you've got an awesome church. I love being a part of this. I believe in this. this is, I've worked in a lot of churches, and it was a joy to wake up this morning saying, I'm excited to come to church and be a part of this. I believe in what God's doing here. You have great leaders, by the way, incredible leaders. But why do we do this? I don't want Jesus to come into the temple and start throwing the tables around and, and just saying, you got it wrong. People came to church project and they left and they never encountered God. Church, may that never be us. Let's go to verse 47. As he was teaching daily in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. So we asked, what would you do? You had three, four days to live. We see how Jesus lived his last three and four days. He's not out living it up. What would we do? Like Jesus wasn't just making falafel and whining and dining on the, on the shores of Galilee. Was it just hanging out? What's he doing? He's giving people cause to arrest him. Like he's going crazy in the temple. Like he's teaching. He's his very last breath. He is teaching and reaching out to humanity. He's weeping. He's broken. He's saying, I'm here on purpose. And it's not about me. It's not about who I am. But it's about humanity and me reaching out to them. It's about the will of my father. It's about this gospel message. The Jewish leaders at this time, they despised him. But look at verse 48. The masses, what are they doing? Man, they're believing him. Well, here's a little setup right now. Roman has granted religio licita. That sounds fancy, doesn't it? That's Latin for religious freedom. Roman has given this to the Jewish people, the Judaism. Partly why? Well, because Rome is in charge. And they want peace. And so as the Jewish leaders see Jesus coming in and having the religious freedom that they have, they're very upset that this chaos is now coming in and that Rome is going to come and destroy them because there's no longer peace. Can you see why the Jewish leaders would be a little upset at Jesus coming in and creating chaos in this system of peace and comfort. Can you see that? They're getting upset at him. To keep peace and to not have Rome interfere their cush life that they have. 
How many of us, we, we would rather just have a cush, comfortable life than to push forward into what God has for us or to accept what God has for us? These Jewish leaders are like, hey, Jesus, no thank you. We like what we've got going on right now. We like this peace. We like this cush life that we've got going on. It's not comfort that's killing me. It's always needing to be comfort, comforted that's killing me. Let's look at verse 48, and we'll wrap this up. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. What do you see when you, in verse 48 in your mind when you think about these words? You know what I see? I see light and love and truth. And I see how it speaks louder and is more compelling than dark and hate and deception. What are the people doing? This is a key for us. What are these people doing right now? They're being with Jesus. Are they doing anything at this point, church? What are they doing? They're being with Jesus. John 15, 4 says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branches cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Why is this message of love and hope so alive in these people as Jesus is marching down in Jeruse, into Jerusalem? It's because they're with Jesus. They're being with Jesus. So church... Are you abiding in Christ? Or have we kind of adopted the American mentality of we got to do, 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 do. Achieve, 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 achieve. Out of a good heart, out of a good place, out of good motives, out of good everything, the priesthood, we look up and we're no longer just abiding with Jesus. It's become about how talented I am, how polished of a speaker I am, by the way, I'm not, but do we get it, church? It's about being with Jesus, and these people are getting it. The Jewish people couldn't shut him up. They're with him in this moment. Oh, but things are about to change. You can read forward in the verses. We'll talk about it next week. But in this moment, I want to ask you, can we hit pause in our life, in this place today, and just reflect on this passage right here? As we've had busy weeks, as we've had a slow week, if we've had, as we've had a chaotic week, as we're stressing out about money, as whatever's going on in our life, can we hit pause on that in this moment and just reflect on this passage and put ourselves in this place? And I want to ask us this question. Are you and I abiding in him? If you would right now, I'd encourage you to just close your Bibles and, and let God begin to just speak with you on, on this passage alone right here. There's so many tremendous truths right here, and I, I know that Jesus can begin to speak to each and every one of us. His Holy Spirit can prod our hearts, and so if you're here and you would just hold your hands out in front of you and just in a humble stance say, say God, here I am, and, and I want to hear from you. I want to receive what it is you want to teach me. In church, I do ask the question again, are you and I abiding in him? 
he will continue to grow himself in us. It's about him. So some of us, maybe what we need to do is just say, yeah, God, for some reason I've gotten in a rat race, a running race, and I don't remember the last time I just sat with you, conversed with you, read your word, just sat in silence with you. Maybe in this place right now, you can begin those moments again. Just say, God, here I am. Church, does separation from him break our hearts? Like in us. Say, God, search me. If there's anything that, that is not in line with your will and your purpose, then God, I surrender it to you. I give it to you. Please break my heart for, heart for the things that aren't aligned with you. Make us more like you. What about in the places that we go this week? As we head off to work tomorrow, we head off to our missions tomorrow that God has put us in charge of. Does separation from God break our heart in that place? Just pray right now, God, please give me your eyes so as I go about my week, I'll know that I'm going about my week on purpose for you so I can speak this love message, this redemptive gospel message to everyone I come in contact with with words, with actions, maybe by silence, maybe just by being in that place. God, let, let me represent you everywhere that I go this week. Maybe just ask God in this moment to give you his eyes, his heart, so that sin and separation from him would break you to the point of weeping. God, I pray that we don't live passive, pointless lives, but we speak up and we stand for your truth. God, give us a hunger for your word. Pray that you would continue to instill in us a longing to spend time with you, that we would know who we are in you. What we've been forgiven of and how much you love us. God, I pray for my life and for the life of our church that you would use us to share this gospel message with Greeley and with the world and beyond. God, thank you for loving us. Church, in this place, if we could just stand and enter into a time of just extended worship once we realize how much God has forgiven us and, and loves us and is granted in our life, it's out of that place that we continue to worship God. Say, God, thank you. It's about you, for you, from you. In this place, there's multiple ways to worship God together. One, of course, we can raise our hands, we can sit, we can worship God through our voice, through our actions. Over on your right, we have communion. What is communion? It's beautiful. 
It's a representation of what God has done in our life. And we can go over and pick up the cracker that represents his, blood, or his, his body that was broken on the cross for us. And we can take that, that piece of bread and we can dip it in the grape juice that represents the blood that Jesus spilled on our behalf. On the cross, we're about to hear this story and the passage is coming. It's a beautiful story in church, but we never forget that. May we never forget what God has done in our life. And so communion is remembrance of these things. So today, maybe you worship God just as a family, go take communion. And there's tithe in both places as well, over on your right and on your left, giving back to God what he's given to us, saying, God, nothing has controlled my life, nothing. I will be obedient in every aspect of my life. Or maybe you need prayer. We'll have people up here on your front, in the front, that would love to pray for you. But church, if you have a kid and child and project kids, I'd encourage you, go take your tag and retrieve that child and come back. And as a family, can we continue to worship God in this place through singing, through communion, through giving, through prayer? Just say, God, it's about you. Thank you so much.